This is Chris Martin, and me and my buddy Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Everything, host an NBA podcast called The Mismatch. They call it The Mismatch because I'm awesome and Kevin is a gigantic nerd. No, no, that's not why at all, Chris. They call it The Mismatch because I have a brain and you're a loudmouth bozo. Good grief. (laughs) Anyway, listen to our amazing NBA podcast, The Mismatch. Or don't. We really don't care. We're probably going to win a million awards either way. <laughs> Chris, we do care. So don't say that. Please subscribe and listen to The Mismatch only on Spotify. Did you really call me a bozo? <laughs> this episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors has everything you need to keep your ride or die alive. From superchargers, brakes, exhaust kits, and more, 122 million parts eBay Motors levels your baby up to its peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to bring home the win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by UGG. Y'all know UGG is a brand that athletes wear all the time in the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think UGG season is only during the colder months of the year. Oh, contraire. You're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from UGG. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. UGG has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the Golden Collection at UGG.com. It is the Ringer F1 Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I am Kevin Clark, Luke Smith from The Athletic, joining us to preview the next few years in Formula One. What do I mean by that? What's going on in the paddock? Silly season coming up, not just this year, but the next few years. Tech race to catch Red Bull. The next hot prospect in F1. We just went through and just said, hey, what's going to happen the next few years here in the sport we love? No one gets better information on a week-to-week basis than Luke Smith. Uh, He is one of our favorites. He's one of the best information people we have on this show. Here is Luke Smith. All right, Luke Smith from The Athletic. He doesn't live in London anymore. He lives in a small coastal town full of old people where the first British motor race happened. I'm enthralled. Luke, what's going on, brother? It's all good, mate. Yeah, it's... um... Weird not to be living in London anymore, I must say. It's been quite strange to go by the seaside and now British summer has finally hit. It's it's nice to be, uh, yeah, five minute walk from the beach. Can't complain at all. But uh, obviously F1 circus, we're into July very soon and four races in one month. So not, not a lot of time is going to be spent by the seaside, I don't think. Reading the Twitter timeline, I'm increasingly worried that Harry Kane is also leaving London. Uh, if, you, <laughs> if, you, if you're reading Build right now, um, there's there's some uh, some reports out there about Bayern Munich, but we'll, uh, we'll put a pin in that. That's a different podcast. All right, we're going to look ahead because, frankly, everybody's looking ahead. Lewis Hamilton said in one of your stories, actually, a couple of weeks ago that most people are looking ahead car-wise to next year, the new development cycle. The flip side of that, as Lewis pointed out, is that Red Bull, gets to do that. Red Bull gets to take their eye off the ball or the foot off their gas, um, which is probably more apt in in racing terms. Um, So we're going to get to that and all of the big picture stuff about the next couple of years. But we'll start, speaking of the future of the sport, 
with some investment. Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney uh, bought into Alpine yesterday as part of a, a broader investment. You wrote about it. Um, are we are we going to see an Alpine reality show on Disney Plus? <laughs> Welcome to Enstone or something like that. Doesn't <laughs> the, the same ring to it, maybe. But uh, yeah, it's. I think it's fantastic news. Like it's really really cool to see another Hollywood connection to Formula One. We know we've got the F1 movie coming in in the, in the next couple of years. We've got so many more celebrities, big names, getting interested and in sort of in F1 circles as we've had this big US boom. And we've got three races now, Vegas coming later this year. So we've still yeah. not hit the peak, really. And uh, yeah, to see Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney getting involved as well is, is fantastic. It's a very different deal to what they did with, uh, with Wrexham, what they're doing in F1 with Alpine. It's uh, a 24% stake as part of the consortium, whereas with Wrexham, they took over the whole club and it was about turning this uh, sort of struggling English football team, sorry, struggling Welsh football team yep. and making Careful. them come up. The, I know that will cause a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, consternation and um, to, to take them up the ladder, whereas with Alpine, obviously they want to take the next step forward, but it does seem much more of a businessy deal, if that makes sense, like get in it to try and make some money. And we know Ryan Reynolds is very savvy with his investments. So um, yeah, it's, it's exciting news. And I think that it's really cool to see that kind of name, that kind of power coming to F1 and only strengthening the American ties that we see to the sport. I, I'm going to throw a curveball at you. Um, after the live golf thing uh, uh, over the last couple of weeks, um, do you see a scenario? Because we're just going through a couple of investments here uh, at the top with F1. Do you see a scenario in which the PIF, whatever, could have more investment? They already have, um, obviously, some footing in F1. Do you see a scenario in which they could try to make another approach to buy uh, it entirely buy out a team? Like, is that, has there been any chatter over the past couple of weeks? Obviously they're negotiating with tennis now, basically what it seems like a significant investment to either buy tennis or come close to it. Uh, any more chatter about the PIF and F1? There's not been anything in the last couple of weeks that's really cropped up. I think a lot of the focus has been on live golf and as you say, with, with tennis as well. And uh, Greg Maffei, the CEO of Liberty Media, he did a podcast, I think, in the, the past week or so. And he said that the $20 billion sort of price that had been floated around as something that PIF might have come forward with in the past. He said that's not basically suggested it's too low and that F1 is looking at a far higher valuation. And I think that ultimately we can kind of see the way that a lot of sport is going. We see that with golf. We see that with tennis. We've got one race in Saudi Arabia now. We know there's going to be more Saudi interest. I think you look at even um, Aramco's involvement with Aston Martin and the weird sort of situation where the Live Golf deal actually happened at a meeting around the Chloe Stroll wedding, daughter of Lawrence Stroll. And <laughs> the, the chairman of Aramco was only there. He's also now the chairman of PGA um, and, uh, and Live was only there because he was a guest at this wedding. So it's all all kind of adds up in a way. But I think for F1 as a whole, there's not been anything to suggest Liberty wants to let go yet. I think they're very happy with how the sport is doing, how it's growing. And uh, yeah, but I think that it's inevitable down the line at some point. I think the discussions about Saudi's involvement in Formula One, how that's going to come. But they've always been pretty clear. I mean, I spoke to Saudi Arabia's sports minister back in um, in March at the Grand Prix there in Jeddah, and he said that it was it was speculation suggesting that they made a, a formal approach. And the indications have been it was more of a discussion about sponsorship and things like that, as opposed mm. to we want to come and buy the series. So um, yeah, I think for now, Liberty very happy with how F1 is ticking along. Luke lived it. Lived in that by. 
golf there. They're just strategic partners. It's fine. Course, it's fine. There's no merger. <laughs> the PGA is no. still still in control. Everything is so fine. Happy I mean, it's basically yeah. yeah, it's basically glorified sponsorship. Obviously, there's been no takeover. Um, all right, I read the agreement yesterday. Um, all right, uh, let's get to the future of the grid. Danny Rick, uh, it feels to me, Luke, and, and I'm not doing it daily. I'm not doing it weekly as far as putting out blog posts, as far as putting out columns. It feels to me like throwing out the future of Danny Rick as a topic is just a reliable like triple for people for, for bloggers to get traffic. Just like, oh, oh, could he go could he go to Red Bull? Could he go to Alpha Towery? Could he go to Aston Martin? Whatever it is, it just seems like every week there's a new link. Helmut Marco has given some credence to this, basically saying they'll evaluate him at the midpoint of this season. Checo's job is safe. It's really amazing how many updates I hear from Red Bull that start with <laughs> Checo's job is safe and then imply Checo's job is not safe within the same breath. Um but uh, it just seems to me like these are getting more and more real. Obviously, he's hugely famous, so that that works and that that dovetails with everything everybody wants. But it also does, from a sporting perspective, seem to make sense. Uh, give us the real info. What's happening with Danny Rick? What will happen with Danny Rick? Well, the test he's doing at Silverstone after the British Grand Prix is a, it's only a Pirelli tire test, but that's kind of what the third slash reserve driver is employed to do and i think that's going to be a really good sign for him to see if the big gains he's been making in the simulator actually do translate to the racetrack because you never really know until you step into the car but from everything i've heard like when he first got in the sim and was trying to get back to it he was struggling so so much and he even admitted himself like i kind of thought the magic had maybe gone a little bit but as time's gone on he's got much closer and much closer to the level that Stappen and perez are doing when they're in the sim so i think that test is going to be really important to sort of tell him a where he's at and b how much do i want this like now i'm back in the real thing the real car do i want to do this full time again do i want to get right back into it for next season all of the signs are suggesting to Daniel himself and to everybody that yes, he does. He does want to come back and race full-time next year, but he's always said he only wants to do it in a competitive seat. He doesn't want to be making up the numbers. He wants to really show what he can do. And that's why with the, the AlphaTauri links, for example, I, I just, I don't see how that would give him what he wants to get unless he's thinking, Hey, if I give it a year, there, stick it out for a season. And then once Checo's contracts up at Red Bull, maybe then I can step back there and, and go back to that seat. I, maybe that's the way they're kind of looking at it. But I think that that test is going to be so important to work out what he wants to do and where he wants to be in the future, because there are so few seats, I think, that can actually give him what he really wants. And to be honest, with what Rebel have with Checo at the moment, sure, he's not challenging Max on a race-by-race -race basis anymore. That kind of early season, oh, we could see a title challenge here, has faded away very, very quickly. But that kind of, I think, suits what Red Bull won. Like, ultimately, they're going to win both championships this year. There's not any massive drama between the two drivers. What happened in Brazil last year was really, really damaging for them. So avoiding that is no bad thing at all. So I think for them, that there's not really a reason to change Checo at the moment, I don't think. I think that he's still ahead of his level of performance, maybe in his first couple of seasons with Red Bull. But um, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how Daniel fits into all of this because as you say, he's such a talking point right now for everybody. And I think that's going to be probably the defining story of silly season, really, the driver market. Where does Daniel Ricciardo land? And can he find somewhere that gives him what he really wants from an F1 seat? 
From a sporting perspective, though, should it be the defining? I mean, I guess he's in the mix for a Red Bull seat by definition, which makes him probably the most important domino to fall. But are there any other sort of driver changes that might competitively impact the grid in the next couple of months that we should be talking about as far as like, you know, I, mean, I, I do think, you know, someone like Yuki Snowda has shown a ton of talent and I don't know where necessarily that goes. Like, is there a driver change that should be on a radar that's not right now, Luke? I don't, I don't think so. I think it is going to be quite uh, and this could come back to bite me when it all kicks off in a couple of months time, but <laughs> I think it is looking like it'll be quite a static silly season to be honest i think the big question mark really is going to be nick devries and what does he oh, do boy. and do alpha Tari stick with him and i saw some uh comments today um from helmut marco on the, uh, the telegraph uh in in the netherlands and him saying that him and christian horner have not really uh, rarely disagree on views on a driver and kind of suggested that horner didn't agree with signing devries and Marco saying, oh, that, well, I guess he's right at the moment about that. And it's like, oh, oh boy. boy. So I think that that's probably the one to watch. And then I think you would then say if that seat, if that seat moves, does Daniel Ricciardo come in? Does an F2 driver like um, Amu Iwasa, who's on the Red Bull Junior program, or Liam Lawson, who's in Super Formula, do they come in? Do they go with the youngster? Because otherwise, like Yuki Snowder, yeah, he's been phenomenal this season, but there's just nowhere really for him to go at the moment. So he's best of probably just sitting in that holding pattern. Uh, Gunter Steiner seems very happy with Magnussen and Hulkenberg at Haas, even though the car's not performing very well on a Sunday. And uh, yeah, Logan Sargent, I know there's been a, maybe a bit of noise on social media about him, but everything I'm hearing is that he's, Williams are happy with how he's doing. He's got real raw pace. He's not, he's no, no Nicholas Satifi, with all respect to Nicholas Satifi. And uh, it's just about, unlocking more of that but there is real confidence that once everything adds up then he's going to be really really rapid so um yeah i think that alpha tarry seat is probably the most important one in terms of defining where this silly season goes absolutely amazing use of all respect to nicholas latifi before before just destroying <laughs> he's, he's him coming to like, logan he's, Sargent. he's he's back like we i think his girlfriend posted a picture of them at an elton john show last week so he's it's good that he's out there enjoying life and he's yeah. doing what all billionaires should be doing not being <laughs> uh, it, 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 like the fact that you had to say logan Sargent is not nicholas tv even though logan Sargent is terrible shows you kind of what what his ceiling was in f1 um all right so let's actually jump ahead to something i had a little bit later but because you mentioned the f2 thing um you wrote about f2 a couple weeks ago and i'm always it's it's always tough for me, and I've, I've I've admitted this on this podcast before. It's hard for me to watch an F two race and say this guy's quick. I'll look at the results and say this guy has won four races in a row. That's great. And people are like, no, 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 no. He's not. He's not a prospect like George Russell. I'm like, well, wait. He won four races in a row. I, maybe <laughs> maybe I'm just stupid. Um, I've only watched this uh, this this type of racing for five six years, so it's hard for me to say okay, the way he's driving will translate to Formula One. Is there? A group of guys right now in F2 or even lower if they're younger um, that are the next George Russell, Lewis Hamilton, Max Verstappen. Is there a level of that type of guy coming up the pipeline? There is, and it's even lower than F2 or F3. So in a series called Formula Regional, which is kind of the, I guess, a step below F3. Uh, it's a guy called uh, Andrea Kimi Antonelli. So another Kimi on the motorsport ranks, which is always cool after Kimi Raikkonen. Uh, he's Italian. He's a member of Mercedes junior program. And everything I've heard about him has been incredible. Like 
Uh, there was one uh, one senior figure at an F1 team who even compared him to Jesus when I spoke to him about him. So he's like, he's, he's like, like big big claim, I know. Um, but he's uh, he's seriously quick. Like he has won everything he's touched in go karts. He's winning everything he's doing up the ladder. Mercedes are basically trying to make sure he doesn't rush too far up. They don't want to sort of throw him into F2 or anything way too early. But everything I'm seeing from him is really, really exciting. And um, I actually today on The Athletic, we ran an article on uh, Gwen LeGrew, who oversees the Mercedes Junior program. And that kind of gives some good insight into how you even see drivers in go-karting or in lower formulas and what makes them really stand out. And yeah, everything I'm hearing about uh, about Kimi Antonelli is is really, really exciting. So um, yeah, hopefully in five, six years time when he's reached the F1 grid and is uh, a future star, I can point back to this podcast and say, yes, I talked about it to Kevin. Okay, a couple of things. Number one, Kimi Antonelli is 16, born in 2006, which is depressing. <laughs> um, the number one takeaway I have from what you just told me is if there's an Italian guy who's an ex-Lewis, Max, whatever you want to say, and he doesn't go to Ferrari, if he just starts <laughs> winning at Mercedes, we're going to have an all-time Tifosi meltdown. All-time. <laughs> I honestly cannot. I honestly am going to. I'm, I'm, I'm pre- proactively feeling bad right now for Ferrari fans <laughs> when this guy gets into a Mercedes, when he climbs into a Mercedes, starts beating George Russell in five years. Um, realistically, just given his age and his trajectory, what's the earliest he could be in F1? Two, two years? Three years? Uh, I'd maybe say three to four years at the earliest, I would have thought. And Mercedes, as we saw with George Russell as well, they do like to place their drivers with a smaller team, maybe to sort of learn the ropes a little bit. That's works really well for George with Williams. So yeah, I would think that, yeah, it would be maybe sort of three, four, five years when we can maybe hope to see him in Formula One. But um, yeah, everything I've heard is fantastic. I met him at the FIA gala last year. He was very, very pleasant kid as well. So yeah, I'm, uh, I'm really excited to see what he could do, but on your point about Ferrari, yeah, it would be quite, um, uh, I, I don't know if ironic is the right thing to say, but after all these years of waiting for a great Italian driver, he finally arrives and it's not in a Ferrari. Oh God, I feel so, I'm not even a Ferrari fan. I don't care about <laughs> teams one way or another like that, but my God, that would be so sad. Um, speaking of great drivers, um, so I mean, I, I, I guess we need to talk right now about the Red Bull car and how close anyone is to catching it in the tech perspective. Um, you wrote about this a couple weeks ago on The Athletic, and I thought it was a fascinating story, and, and, and it was prompted by the fact that the floor was exposed at Monaco, uh, which was a nice little wrinkle. And I think that the problem is that seeing the floor is almost, and I guess tech experts really love seeing it and there's, there's sort of a lot to glean from it and certainly other teams would take photos and, and be interested in it. But it's really, really, really hard to even come close to what Red Bull has done. Um, and even if you can see the floor, I'm not sure how much that helps. Teams are trying to close the gap. That's all they're trying to do. And as I, I flicked out at the beginning of the show, um, Red Bull is trying to increase that gap. Um, and now they can take their off the ball a little bit. A, we'll start here. What are teams doing to catch up to Red Bull right now from a tech perspective? What are they copying? Um, what do they think Red Bull has figured out that they are getting in line with? And, and then kind of how, the, how does it develop over, over the next uh, three or four years until 2026? 
Yeah, it's a big, big challenge because as as you mentioned with Lewis Hamilton's comments earlier, that everyone's switching that focus to next year very early. But Red Bull, because they're so far in front, can do that even earlier than everybody. So it's this almost a vicious circle of, um, yeah, that they're ahead already and they can start earlier on next season, which will then keep them ahead. But over time, these regulations, they are, compared to the previous eras of F1, they are quite restrictive in terms of there's only so many areas you can really explore. There's only so many loopholes you can really sort of look at and try and get performance out of the car from. And I think that it's, um, yeah, you look at, you look at, the side pods, for example, Mercedes, Ferrari and Red Bull all went very different ways with the side pod design when these regs started at the, at the beginning of 2022. And now they've all kind of gone in the Red Bull direction. So little things like that, it does show that teams are coming around to the Red Bull way of thinking. And you would imagine that the ceiling for Red Bull is closer than it is for the other teams in terms of where they get to with, with their car designs, if assuming that they're ahead of the game by that much. But um, but yeah, it is uh, like with the floor, for example, it's about how it all fits in with the rest of the car. So simply saying, ah, oh, Red Bull have done that, we'll copy it and put it on our car. That's not guaranteed to give you more performance. And there may be little things other teams can work out to, um, yeah, to try and get some more performance out of their cars. The big thing with the Red Bull that has been alluded to by some technical figures within F1 teams is the the way it runs with its suspension is so, so efficient. It works so well. It makes the car so quick. And Mercedes, for example, they did a big uh, update on their suspension in Monaco, and that has already helped. So you can kind of see that these teams are taking steps forward. They are kind of moving more down the Red Bull way of thinking, I guess, but it is just such a big gap. And yeah, you look at last year compared to this year, Red Bull, they had such quick car, but they said, look, it's too heavy, it's overweight. And this year they just fixed that completely and took another big step forward. And you've got to wonder how many more of these big steps has Red Bull got in its pocket because ultimately they can afford to spend more time to maybe think about next year because of this big buffer. So um yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see over the coming years how much closer everyone can get. These regs we know are really enforced till 26 when the new engines come in. So how how much will the field converge? Because the more you leave the regulations alone, ultimately it does tend to bunch together over time. So hopefully that means that we get a 2021 repeat where you've got two teams on absolute level playing field at some point in the future. But uh, obviously we want that. We want that now, really. We don't want to be waiting until maybe 2025 to get that kind of title fight. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. As your business grows, you might start seeing some lag. There's too much work for your team, too many different processes, and it takes forever to close the books. If this sounds like you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000, 25, and one. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. It's a cloud financial system that can help streamline accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, that's how many years NetSuite has been helping businesses do more with less. And one, because your one-of-a-kind business deserves a customized solution for your KPIs. It's like when you come here for this podcast or when you check out your favorite website to gather all the info you need to make better decisions for your fantasy leagues. Well, NetSuite does that for your business and then some. It's one efficient system, one source of truth with everything you need to grow. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash ringer. That is netsuite.com slash ringer. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. 
But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. If someone comes and says, you have to bet everything in your bank account, everything that's going to- towards your nice coastal home, <laughs> and says you have to bet on the next non-Red Bull team to win the Constructors' Championship. What is that team? Uh, that team, I would probably, I would probably say Mercedes. Actually, I would say Mercedes because I think. What were you about to say? The, were you about? It looks like you were about to say something else. I was. So I was. Never mind. I was like. With all respect to Ferrari, I don't think it's going to be Ferrari. <laughs> um, second time I've used with all respect in, the, in this podcast. Um, I was I was thinking Mercedes versus Aston Martin, and Aston have poured so much into that facility, and they've really built an F1 team for for the modern day, and it's really amazing what they're doing. And I do genuinely think it's a matter of when, not if, they are winning races and winning championships. But with Aston, I I just I think that what Mercedes have got as an overall package, I think in terms of where they're at, I think they know how to win these championships. And the fact that even in this kind of low point for them where they've had these setbacks and they've still been really in that mix to be the second fastest team alongside Mercedes and uh, alongside Aston Martin and Ferrari, I think that really does point to just their strength. So yeah, I would, I would go with Mercedes, but I think that you're looking at Red Bull, Mercedes, Aston Martin, Ferrari, hopefully all four of them, are fighting for these championships in the next sort of like three, four years time because they're, they're all, they are all quality teams, but yeah, I would probably put my money on Mercedes if I was going to go with anyone just because of, they know how to win championships. They know how to mm-hmm. do it in this modern era. All right. Is the cost cap, we know what it was intended to do, but when a car runs away and hides like this, it prevents a team from going out and spending a few hundred million dollars to solve the problem. Is the cost cap not going to bring the parity that we thought? Is it we're going to have to wait till 2026 for that kind of parity? Um, obviously, Red Bull breached the cost cap quite famously. <laughs> uh, just incredible catering last year uh, in the paddock or two years ago. And I, I just, I'm struggling to see a path forward as far as parity goes when you're thinking about the fact that it's just really hard to spend your way out of this problem, um, out of this hole. Uh, are, are people talking about that in the paddock? Uh, is that is that is that a, 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 a I guess you'd say a, a cause for concern, where, where people are saying we just don't have a capacity to catch Red Bull because we can't spend that much money? I don't. I don't think it's a concern. I think the long term view of the benefits the cost cap will bring are still what people are looking at and seeing as being a, a very positive thing. It's ultimately something that makes the sport sustainable for the long term. It was discussed even by Alpine yesterday following the investment from Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney and co, because that kind of shows that you spend this much and you know that year on year, it's not going to be these wild sums because we're like, oh, we've got to try and 
throw all this money at the cars, try and catch Red Bull, and oh, we've spent $500 million, we can't do F1 anymore. So you do avoid that. And I think that the sort of the flip side of the argument where you say, okay, well, you can't spend your way out of trouble, you can't spend mm-hmm. money just to catch up with Red Bull. It also means that Red Bull can't spend to just pull even further away. So mm-hmm. it's kind of, if you if you did say anymore and said to Mercedes, look, spend all the money you want to try and bridge that gap to Red Bull, Red Bull will just react by doing exactly the same thing and just say, well, we're going to spend even more to extend our advantage. So I think it is something that long-term is very important for F1. I think it will bring that level playing field. And I think it is really just a wait for the facilities to catch up. But uh, teams like, again, Alpine, they want to use some of this money to bring their facilities on a little bit. Aston Martin have made such a huge step forward this year. And I think they're only going to continue to do so once their new factory and new wind tunnel all gets fully online. So it's, uh, yeah, I do I do get the argument of that it's kind of denied the teams the chance to throw money at the car and bridge that gap to Red Bull sooner. But I think the long term, it will bring about the effects that we all want, which is a, a more competitive grid. Speaking of run away, running away and hiding, obviously, driver's championship is over. Constructor's championship is over. Max Verstappen keeps doing the thing. And I've talked about this a million times in this podcast, where when Lewis was at the absolute pinnacle of the sport, all he would do was talk about how he might not be long for the F1 world, to be retirement rumors, all of that stuff. and. Then when he becomes the underdog, it gets his competitive juices flowing a little bit, and we haven't heard we haven't heard retirement talk in two years. Um, he's not going to go out like this. If if this Red Bull dominance continues, um, and Max wins the next three championships, this one and two after this, um, he said it's a I think he said it's a lonely life, something like that. Um, he doesn't like all the travel, doesn't love the, all the attention. Um, he's not. He has not yet uh, used his, um, you know, I don't think he's one of these guys where, you know, Lando Norris is in a luggage ad at Grand Central Station here in New York. Um, <laughs> Lewis is doing not only fashion, but activism, all of that stuff. It doesn't feel like he Max is using his platform as a jumping off point to something bigger, um, which everybody else on the on the grid seems to be doing at the, at the top level. Um, so I'm not totally, he just loves racing. That's it. Um, and he loves the competitive part of it. How long does he continue, um, given his comments, if no one catches him? Um, does, he, does he give it up in, in three or four years? Or is this just kind of, as I alluded to, posturing when you're just a little bit bored at the top? Huh. I, think, I think with Max, it's maybe, it is maybe a little bit different because he has been so clear. Even I remember even back in, I think it must have been Hungary 2018, I think it was. And that was when he got his first ever pole position. It might have been 2019. And I remember asking him when I said, like, you've got all of these, you're the youngest winner, the youngest fastest lap, the youngest this, the youngest that. You're not the youngest pole sitter, though. Like, does that bother you? And he was like, no, why, why would it bother me? And I was, I, was, <laughs> I was a bit, I found it a bit odd, but as time yeah. has gone on, I've realized it's because Max, he doesn't really care about the records. Like, he cares about his standing in F1 history. He cares about the, okay, he matched Ayrton Senna's win tally at the last race, for example, to be able to say, ah, oh, I'm on the same level as Ayrton Senna. That is something he can relate to. And that's something he really does, I think, recognize the significance of. But if it's winning six titles versus seven titles versus eight, to him, it doesn't really matter. Like he kind of thinks that I wanted to be F1 world champion. I have become F1 world champion. So I've kind of done what I set out to do. So I do think it's maybe a little bit different. And I do wonder like, yeah, does he maybe get into his early thirties? And if he's gone on a run of championship, does he think, well, I want to try something else now? Like 
he's always said he wants to do Le Mans, Le Mans with his dad. So does he think, hey, let's park F1 for a little bit. I'll spend my time to go and do Le Mans. I'll spend my time to focus more time on my esports and things like that and and growing that brand away and, and enjoying a bit of life outside of F1 because, yeah, it is quite a, a lonely life for the drivers. And that's kind of something that does get lost sometimes. It is a lot of, obviously, they love what they do. They love their racing. But that's only one part of the job. It's a lot of talking to people like me and it's a lot of sponsorship stuff and things like that, which maybe aren't exactly what you wanted to be doing when you became a racing driver. So yeah, I do wonder with Max, like, is he going to get to that sort of early thirties age, which is still like what, seven years away, maybe yeah. and think, okay, I want to, I want to stop now and take a break or something like that. But um, yeah, I think that hopefully as F1 gets more competitive, maybe, and I don't think he is bored at the top. I think he's loving what he's doing. He's loving sure. the relationship and stuff he's got with Red Bull and how they're dominating. But um, it would be really interesting to see again if we had that 2021-esque title fight again, be it with Lewis Hamilton or someone else, to um, to really just, I guess, push him to the absolute limit again and really bring out the best of him. Because, um, yeah, I think that would be that would be a really cool story for F1. Do you think that there's a desire, and I've seen comments from the top of F1 basically saying we're not going to we're not going to gamify this, but man, the season as it goes on, I mean, it's basically over. Um, ratings in the United States have dipped a little bit, but nothing crazy. Numbers on this podcast, frankly, are totally like have not dipped at all. Um, shout out to producer Erica. Um, <laughs> but like I, I've been surprised at um I guess I'd say maybe like the lack of online chatter in America. Um, it's, it's that it feels like the buzz has, has lessened a little bit. Um, and I guess I'm curious, is there any concern within F1 that they need to do something to just kind of um, make the pack, make it more competitive and, and maybe more gimmicky. I mean, you don't want to go full NASCAR, but this time next year, if it's the same thing, at some point, people just kind of tune out. And we've always had the dominant car. We've always had the Schumachers. We've always had the mm -hmm. Hamiltons. We've always had, I mean, I remember being in, in Italy, um, probably before new Italian Kimmy was born. And <laughs> I remember thinking about, they, they would sell all the fake soccer jerseys on the side of the street in Rome. And it would be like Toddy. And, and then there'd be five different Juventus jerseys. And then there'd be a fake Michael Schumacher kit. And that's kind of how I realized how famous Michael Schumacher was. But mm. at that time, he was just beating everybody's ass. He was exactly like Red Bull is now. And yet he was he's, mm. he's in the he's in the fake kit market. OK, like that's where we are. And so there's always been that dominance. But at some point with the new TV rights, with Netflix, with all this stuff, with with obviously new controlling owners, Bernie's not there anymore. Is there any desire to just change anything to make June 27th of next year more compelling? <laughs> That would be the hope, obviously. Like we want it to be more interesting. We want a closer title fight, absolutely. And I think that it's that balance of where do you put sport versus spectacle? Where do you say, no, 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 the regulations are enshrined and we need to leave them as they are. And over time, they will do their thing. And the cost cap and the restrictive nature of the technical rules will bring everyone in together and we won't see this kind of dominance again. And Ultimately, how long do you keep saying, oh, but give it a year, give it another year until you think, okay, this isn't working. And I think that's that's going to be really interesting for F1. I think that the next sort of four or five years, because as, as you say, what, like we're riding this crest of a wave at the moment, but 
there is kind of this feeling of oh, okay well it's another another weekend of um i've got a, a colleague at the athletic who's um uh works on the ice hockey side of things and he said that his son is five or six years old and he said oh do you want to watch def one he's like no i know who's gonna win i know max is gonna win (laughs) you don't need that that cynicism from a child like it's such a shame but that's kind of where f1 is at at the moment and i think that it's interesting because in previous eras like maybe maybe it was because it wasn't a drive to survive time it was before this massive influx where fans are saying right i want I've only got so many hours in a day. I want to ensure that I spend this time watching a really good match or game or, or race or whatever. And the issue with F1 is that like, if, if, if I didn't want to watch uh, Novak Djokovic win, because I don't like Novak Djokovic, I could watch any other tennis match mm-hmm. and that'd be absolutely fine with F1. You can't watch a race and think, Oh, well, I don't want to see a Max Verstappen victory because they're the only races. So the only ones with Max Verstappen in. So it's, um, it's a tricky situation it, it i think shows how f1 is so different to other sports and how dominance does go through these eras but um yeah the the feeling is they don't want to intervene and say well no we need to change the rules just to bring in a team and to rein in Verstappen and red bull because ultimately that goes too far down the gimmicky kind of route but it's definitely something i think everyone in the paddock is very aware of that look everything is great right now we've got all of these races on the calendar we've got so much interest we've got the u.s boom but at what point do people go ah, actually no we've, we've had enough now of the same old same old and um i don't think we're near that point yet i think that there's enough good stuff coming for f1 with with vegas with the movie that we're not at that peak yet but mm-hmm. ultimately we do want a season like again 2021 we would love to have that again to really showcase F1 at its most competitive and most exciting. Luke Smith, at the Athletic, read him. Off to Austria this weekend. Who's going to win? Prediction? Prediction, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm going to say. Um, no, I can't see it not being a match. Logan Sargent. Because, ah. Logan, I mean, that would be that would be a story. But one, one thing I have been thinking, though, is that it's a sprint weekend, which, A, lends itself to a bit of craziness a few curveballs here and there but austria itself does always tend to be a race that is quite random with its results sometimes like i remember it was always the race where mercedes even through their most dominant spells would always struggle it was a race last year where ferrari was amazing on its tires and that's been its massive weakness for the last two years so i'm i'm curious whether this might throw a curveball but um yeah being a uh, Playing on the safe side, you've got to think Max and Red Bull are still the overwhelming favorites going into this weekend. I'll never forget when we were on going into Sunday when Max Verstappen started ninth and me and Meg Schuster and Scott Mitchell Mom were all doing our predictions. And I don't think any of us said Max. And at the end, Mitch Scott was like, you know Max is going to win, right? And we're like, okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we're like trying to do this weird fan fiction where it's like, well, what if this happens? What if this happens? Yeah. Like, no, 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 no. He's going to power through the pack and he's going to win. Um, Luke Smith, check him out. Enjoy Austria, buddy. Thank you very much. Pleasure as always. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes 
you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York. We want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 